Happy uh, Labor Day weekend. It's a holiday weekend, as you can tell. Thank you for uh, being here with us. Thank you for braving the torrential downpour that was happening as you were walking in. Um, yeah, that, that happened. And so uh, we're sorry. Can't, can't do anything about it, but glad that you were able to, uh, to make that in. Um, I wanted to, to give you a couple pieces of information, but before we do that, I want to take a moment. Um, some of you guys have been around this place a long time. Some of you haven't. And so either way, uh, there's a, a very long time, long, long, long time uh, member of our church that is in great need at the moment. Uh, Don Kidwell had a lot of health issues over the years, but as of late, has really been doing pretty well. And uh, last week, if you get our prayer email, you know that he had gotten uh, put in the hospital um, for some reasons. And then while in the hospital, actually on Sunday last week, he fell and broke his shoulder and had to have surgery for that. And then they found some other issues. And so this is going to be a, a long-term stay here while he receives some additional treatment. But they're going to move him to another facility on the south side of Terre Haute so they can take him back and forth for treatments. He's dealt with a lot of health issues in his life, a lot of health issues, and uh, needs our prayers. I think the quote to his uh, a daughter from what I heard from someone in church this morning was, uh, yes, I can use all the prayers I can get, so please tell everyone you can. So um, that's what we're doing this morning. And so I thought it'd be great. Um, if any of you have any time um, that you could send a card, make a phone call, or even maybe drop by at some. If you know Don, uh, he and Bev would, I'm sure, appreciate it. I'm trying to explore what could we do for Bev as she's driving back and forth every day and, and getting ready rides from her daughters and, and various people. How, how can we help her out? Um, but this is important as a church family to, to remember those uh, longtime faithful member uh, here at Berea. And we want to we wanna lift him up. So let's do that real quick before we get started. Father God, uh, you know, you know Don, you know his, his faithful heart. Um, when I got to speak with him this last week, it was amazing how incredibly encouraged he was. Uh, his spirits were high, even though uh, he's facing many, many obstacles. And so Father, just pray that if it's your will, that you can bring him through these and back here to us. And in the meantime, that his stay can be comfortable and the treatments are effective for him. Father, we want to lift up Bev and, and the rest of the family um, that, that are in and around the area, uh, tending to his needs right now. I just pray that we can be an encouragement to those people. Father, however possible, and get, open those doors for us so we can reach in and, and love on those people as they go through this difficult time. We, we love him and we're so thankful for his many, many faithful years here and just pray that if there's anything we can do in exchange uh, in his time with us that, uh, Father, you can, you can allow us to do that. Um, Father, he's a special man and uh, we need to take care of our own. It's part of who we're supposed to be. So give us an opportunity to do that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for being here. Uh, it is Labor Day weekend. Uh, for me growing up, Labor Day was never a big deal. Um, it just kind of came and went. We never did anything special for Labor Day weekend. Just never seemed to be a, a big holiday in our world, but it is in a lot of people. So there's a lot of people the last weekend of summer, they now officially call it, um, people going out and, and about. So uh, a couple things that we wanted to mention to you as we um, get started. First of all, uh, right after second service or after this service next week, we'll have a really short children's ministry meeting just to get all the volunteers and, and folks on board for this fall as we work on October, November, December schedules. Um, hard to believe, but Christmas will be here before we know it already. It's kind of crazy, but it is a true, true statement. Um, in two weeks, um, we got back to church Sunday. I mentioned it last week for the first time. And so I was so thankful this week when our door hangers came in. They're fun. They got all of our information on it. This nifty little flyer here in the middle. It's not a gospel track, not an old school track or anything like that. Um, but it does tell a great story and it has a QR code that you can scan with your phone and watch a video. Um, so things have been updated a little bit. What we're asking people to do, and some people in first service caught on and some didn't. And so hopefully next week they will. Um, take 10 of these. They're in stacks of 10. So individual, just take 10 of them. We need 50 people to take 10 
of these and just hand them out however you want to. Um, if you want to go door to door and put them on doors, you can. If you want to hand them out to people, you can. Just simply just get the word out there. It's a big, big deal. Um, so many people used to go to church. And for one reason or another, they haven't. And you know that's something that God frequently puts on their minds somewhere. They'll probably never say anything about it, but it's always there. And you never know when that right moment might be for them to connect with something or someone. And next thing you know, God has them back on the track that he would like them. So please pick those up on your way. If you're a really eager beaver person, you know, you're a go-getter and you want two stacks or three, take them. Uh, if you've got a neighborhood that you'd like to walk around and talk with people, please go, go right ahead. It's fine. Um, we're excited about doing this. Uh, Prudence mentioned it earlier. I'll talk a lot more about community groups next week and signups. Um, we're excited. We're going to hopefully offer another class somewhere, a group on the southeast kind of side of, of, of town, um, of the county. And so we get, Chris and I are going to be a part of that and it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, last two things. Testimony 101. I mentioned a long time ago, um, several months ago, actually, in a message that, hey, if anybody would ever like to learn a little bit more how to craft your testimony and put it together in a way that you can share it with others um, and things like that, let me know. And then a couple months ago, I mentioned it again. And we had it, well, a couple weeks ago, about eight weeks ago now. Uh, I mentioned it again. We had about 15 people respond and say, yes, I would love to be a part of a class like that. I said, great. And so we finally set dates. Um, there's only going to be five sessions. I'm shorting the class. It's nine weeks normally. I'm shortening it into five. Um, but it's going to start this Tuesday. And so if that's you, if you would like to learn, you, every one of us have a story. Um, and it's not just a story that we're supposed to share. It's actually a story we're commanded to share. <laughs> that's why we have it. Um, we're supposed to share this absolutely with others. And you just want help kind of organizing that or putting together or thinking it through. That's what this is about. Kind of give you the biblical reasoning behind it, why we should do it, and then goes into actually crafting it. So it's only going to last five weeks, so it's just five short sessions, two Tuesdays, a Thursday, and two Tuesdays um, to get through it. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. Just put your name on there with the rest of the gang, and we would love to, love to, love to have you as a part of that. It is a very big deal. The very last thing, we support a ministry called Helping His Hands based in Vincennes, Indiana. It's a disaster relief organization uh, that whenever things happen anywhere across the country and sometimes world, they immediately set out. Well, you probably guess where they're going right now. And so they asked if we could put out a plea for some simple things. And we said, OK, sure. Water. So if you could bring in case or cases of water, maybe they're on a good sale somewhere this week, that would be awesome. Just drop them by here at the church anytime this week or next week, and we'll put together a crew to drive them down to Vincennes um, and get them those hands. They cannot use too much water. It's not possible to take them too much. It's, it's just not. So consider that if you'd be willing and able. We would love to have you. All right. Back to school. Um, again, I told you last week I always dreaded it. It was another something I look forward to. But I came, I found a list of things uh, that some of us might remember from going back to school. Now, some of you, depending on your generation, it might be before or after yours, but some of these things will resonate for most of us. Um, do you remember getting one of these each year, a brand new school box? Yeah? Did anybody ever have the old cardboard ones? Anybody? Have the old, yeah? Plastic ones? Yeah? And those, yeah absolutely. I remember those things. Um, do you remember what you put in them? Did anybody have like a super cool eraser or pencil or something that you cherished so much you never even used it? Did anybody have one of those? Why? Why did we do that? Like we bought these pencils and erasers to use and then we never even touched them. Why did we do that? I've, I've never figured that out. Do you remember getting one of these on your papers? The gold stars, the little stickers. Do you remember those? And then we went to, you know, like scratch and sniff stickers. Some of us had those. Those were a lot of fun. Yeah, I do. Did anyone learn how to tell time with one of those? 
Yes, some of you did, yeah. Kids don't know how to use those anymore. They don't know what a clock is. They can't read them. They don't know what those hands mean or what the, the numbers are. Um, it's very interesting to try to teach them how to do those things, but, but they don't know. Uh, hall passes. Anybody remember getting your hall passes in high school? Uh, did anyone abuse that privilege? Maybe just just a, every once a little? Okay, yeah, me too, um, me too. I, I uh, Some of my best friends were a year older than me in high school, and so uh, they had lunch during my study hall. <laughs> so... You know, I'd eat lunch twice. It was a good thing. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I did. Uh, do you remember using these in class? Yeah? Were any of you the kid that would stand back there and, like, take your new pencil down to, like, the, the nubby little tiny little piece? Why did they, why? I always wondered why did they do that. How about these chairs? Ladies with long hair. Do you remember these chairs? What happens? It hurts. Yes, it hurts. What happens to your hair? Does anyone remember? Gets caught in those little screw thingies there in the back, yeah, and pulls it out. That's, I, I remember my sister's complaining about that. I never, never had that. Um, I completely forgot about this one until I was reading this list. I remembered all of our little elementary school functions. We'd have a big cooler about this tall, and it was yellow with a red on it from McDonald's. And what did it have in it? No, it had that orange drink. The powdered McDonald's orange drink. That didn't taste very good, but our school always had that, and I completely forgot about that. Those of us that grew up in the computer generation where it was just starting to come into school, there was no internet or anything like that, but we had some games that we would play. Did anyone play Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? Yes. How about Oregon Trail? Yes. I'm dating myself, obviously, but yes, absolutely. Loved those games. They were so much fun. They still are, actually. They still exist. Uh, how about the wooden ruler with the metal, the sharp, razor sharp metal strip on it? Like, that's a weapon now. Uh, we couldn't even have that in school, although I hear they still sell them. Back to school. I don't know. That's very strange that happens. Um, how about this? Knowing your teacher was about to get serious when they pulled that down. Ah, the map. Yes. And they began to point at the map and all the various places they're on. I remember that. How about buying your box of Valentine's cards and looking through all of them for that special one to give to, you know, that special someone in your class that you had a crush on? Yeah, you remember that person? Absolutely. How about feeling cool when you got to write on the chalkboard with the teacher's metal like chalk holder? Anybody have those in their class? Yeah, no, you just got to write with chalk, that's fine. How about not feeling cool when you had to go write your name on the chalkboard? Did anybody have to do that? Then maybe like a check mark or, yeah, okay, a few of you did that before in life. All right, me too. I mean, that might've happened before somewhere along the way. Um, now for us, we had this incredibly super cool privilege on Fridays. If you got selected to go down to the gym with the erasers from your chalkboard and use the fancy eraser cleaner. And some of you, no, we just went outside and banged them together. Yes, you did. But this was way cool. It's like a vacuum cleaner. With the, it's, it was so much fun. It was a special privilege. Playing tetherball. Of course, we don't have that anymore. Too many people get hurt with that, breaking fingers and things like that. Did anybody have the cursive handwriting across the top of your board so you remembered how to write those letters that some of us still don't know how to write very well? Me included. Reading lots and lots of books to get free pizza from Pizza Hut. See, that was after me. My sisters got that privilege. I, I sure didn't. The good old Book It program, which still exists. You remember the monthly cafeteria calendar they would send home? What would happen on Friday once or twice a month? You remember that vague one thing that was on there? Huh? No, no, the vague one, Cook's Choice or something like that. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah, where were they getting the food? I don't, I don't know what they did with it, but uh, we loved school pizza. 
Yeah, the rectangle pieces, you know, school people. We loved that. It was so good. So good, in fact, that when Chris and I first started helping out with a youth group, um, we had a connection to the school. And we had a lady order a school pizza to have at youth group because we loved it so much. I don't know if the kids liked it, but we loved it. Um, so it was our little way of kind of getting back at being in school a little. Uh, the last one, getting hit in the face with one of these. Do you remember the playground balls? The red rubber playground balls. Yeah, we played dodgeball with those, not these soft, squishy gator skin balls that don't hurt. No, we played with those and it was fun and painful and now it's banned. So whatever, whatever that's worth. Um, fun stuff. I found this list of things that we were supposed to have learned in elementary school. Now, I'm not gonna tell you where I got this list. I want you to listen to the list and then I'll tell you where it came from and we'll see if we can figure out their motivation behind this list. So this is 10 real life lessons we are supposed to have learned in elementary school. First one, pay attention. When you're a kid and you possess the attention span of a fruit fly, when you entered elementary school, things became very difficult because you no longer had a nap time. You didn't have extended periods of time to play and expend massive amounts of energy. Recess was never long enough. I had two growing up. Now they barely have one anymore, most schools. And in junior high, of course, you began to get distracted by people of the opposite gender. And so it was impossible to pay attention. The second one, dealing with the opposite gender is difficult. <laughs> When you first became interested in the opposite sex, your attempts to figure them out were futile. How did you know if they liked you? How do you make them like you if you like them? Once you finally did obtain a boyfriend or a girlfriend, how do you keep them happy? How do you keep yourself happy? And then we all grew up and realized that we're still trying to figure out all of these answers to these questions even today. Following directions. Doing your own thing was always a cool thing, but it would often land you into trouble. Depending on the personality of your teacher, your insubordinate acts might have resulted in prison-like experiences. Sitting out recess while you stood and watched everyone else play and have fun. Enduring detention. Coping with isolated lunches. Never an easy thing. When it came to schoolwork, an overlooked detail and the instructor with the instructions, overlooked detail in the instructions would result in a bloodbath of red ink on your assignment, making it not refrigerator worthy. Yes, honesty. Honesty is the best policy, still is. When you get caught in a lie, it meant trouble. Typically some sort of punishment with the consequence of telling a verifiable lie to your teacher or your principal. Well, the trust was the issue here, but when the trust was violated, as they probably told you now, everything you told them from that point forward was now in question, wasn't it? They may never believe you again. As an adult, now you know, a lie can result in all kinds of bad things, from losing your job to your marriage. So hopefully you learned that lesson on some level back in elementary school. Every action has a consequence. Yes, even in our society today where people don't believe in consequences, they still exist. Mature and intelligent people know to always think before they act. Otherwise, they might face negative consequences, like after telling a lie. Another problem that every child endures is peer pressure, which is pervasive in a school environment. And you all learned that peer pressure is, of course, bad. Unless... It's good because it can be that as well. Conformity was necessary to an extent, even in elementary school. You did not want to become a social outcast. But as some of us learned from the D.A.R.E. program, when you mindlessly follow the crowd, that could get you into trouble. In cases where your friends want to do things that you shouldn't be doing, doing your own thing wasn't such a bad thing. Treat people with respect. Some of you have learned this. Even during adulthood, not everyone treats their peers with respect. Perhaps the people who don't miss the do unto others lesson in elementary school. The ability to empathize with others should have been honed during these early stages of social interaction. Now it feels like it has become do unto others whatever I want to do. 
Last couple. There's always a social hierarchy. Think about your school days. There was always the cool kid, the nerd, the talker, the shy one, the rebel, the pretty girl, the drama queen, and you can fill in some other blanks, I'm sure. Who it was and the extent of their behavior varied as you progressed through school. But now, of course, you've learned as an adult, you find that all of these people tend to fulfill the same roles within your workplaces, don't they? Whether it's for better or for worse. Maybe you learned how to stand up for yourself when you were a child, and hopefully you learned to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. And lastly, the lesson that they wanted us to learn was to just roll with the punches, to just go with the flow. Sometimes you have to just make ends meet. You just got to get through it and get on and you'll be fine. Now, this list is an interesting list and I love where it comes from. It comes from a publication called The Reliable Plant. Now, we're not talking about green things that are growing here. It's a magazine style website with information for and about industry. Yes, manufacturing plants. In other words, this is what they wish that all of their employees had learned when they were in elementary school because their businesses would work so much better if people had learned these basic lessons. For you in school, what was your very favorite way to learn? Think about it. Was it a book? Did you love reading a book or maybe even just looking at the pictures, finding out new things, interesting things you didn't know? Was it the spoken word? of your teacher or instructor? Was it video or computer driven like everything is now? Many kids don't even have books any longer. Was it an experiential type event, hands-on learning? What was it that clicked for you? Because I don't know for you what it was, but the reality is this, almost all of us, almost everyone can learn and loves a really good story. Other than sporting events for some guys, there's really nothing more compelling when it comes to learning than a great, great story. It's what sticks in your mind. Now our society has many, many ways to, con to, to convey stories. One of which of course is still a book. You can still pick up a book and read it. It does still exist. You can still do it and many people do. But from there, you can go see a movie. You can be told an entire story or maybe generations of story of the course of two, two and a half hours. For some people, it's a TV show. 30 minutes is about all they can handle. For others, that's too long. So a three-minute YouTube video, that's perfect for me. I can get all I need from a story in those three minutes. And then, of course, there's now, you got 60 seconds on Instagram for your video to tell your story. And so maybe that's all you can handle when you do it. Regardless, stories have a way of grabbing our attention. They pull us in to someone else's life or into an alternate reality where it almost feels like we're a part of it. They may challenge us. They may inspire us. They may anger us. Even if it's not a real story, you watch it or you're a part of it and it, it feels like it. You, you get that same emotion as if you're really angry. Probably if everyone in here were really honest, we've all been drugged into such a story that at some point in time, we connected with that story in such a way it moved us to tears. And it didn't even have to do with us because that's the power of story. You see, hearing a story can change a person's life. It can change a person's eternity as well. So it's no surprise that Jesus used stories to share information with people, to share facts with people. In fact, it's recorded 46 different times where Jesus illustrates an example or tells a truth via a story he probably did so many, many, many other times as everything Jesus said was not written for us. And these stories that Jesus told are often called parables. I found these couple descriptions of parables for us, one by a man named Fred Penny. It says this, a parable is by definition a story given to illuminate something unknown by use of something that is known. In our immediate times, 
this presents an obstacle. What was known about Jesus's audience or what was known to Jesus's audience may not be known to ours. Do we really know how a widow was regarded in Roman occupied Jewish society? Probably not. So our definition needs to be slightly different. A parable, while working hard to bring clarity, still presents some features that might not quite be clear to the modern world. He says, I like to think of a parable as a seed, which fits well with our story today. All of its immense power and potential is not immediately obvious. It will require some time to germinate. A man, famous speaker, author, uh, leader, provider out there, a guy named John MacArthur, wrote a book called Parables. It's all about the parables of Jesus. And he says this, in short, Jesus' parables had two clear purposes. One, they hid the truth. Yes, his stories hid the truth from self-righteous, self-satisfied people who fancy themselves too sophisticated to learn from him. While the same parable revealed truth to eager souls with childlike faith, those that were hungering and searching for righteousness. Anyone who truly wanted to understand one of Jesus' stories could have asked. Remember, Jesus urged everyone with an earshot to seek understanding with the things he said. He said, therefore, take heed how you hear for whoever has to him more will be given and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. Those are Jesus's words from Luke 8 verse 18. And then Jesus would often say things when he told stories like this. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, as a child, I found that line to be hilarious every time we read it because everyone I knew had ears. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, there are people born or with injury that do not have ears. He's not talking about them. He's also not talking about people who have an inability to hear, those that are deaf or hearing impaired. So what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about people who let the word of God come in their ears, their auditory canal works, the bones are all moving, the signal is sent to the brain, and then it exits right out the other side and they pay absolutely no attention to anything that they just heard, rather than those who truly listen and seek understanding. This parable of Jesus, as with all of them, do they matter today? A lot of people will tell you they don't. They were for a time gone by, I would argue, with those people. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then in Malachi 3, 6, God himself declares, I, the Lord, do not change. Now, that statement has severe implications for our society today, who's always trying to conform God and conform Jesus and conform their teachings into what we believe and what we want to have happen and what we think is right or what we want to do. And God says, you know, I don't change that way. Maybe we need to change our ways. Of course we do. So if God doesn't change, then the things that Jesus taught will not change. The truths that he placed in his stories, they're eternal now, as noted earlier, some things might be wrapped in local or time-bound customs. And so our understanding might be a little skewed. We don't live in an ancient Roman society. So what do we have to do? We have to look at the truth that Jesus is presenting and learn exactly how it applies to our lives today, just like it did to the people that heard it originally. So the parable we study today might remind you of your school days just a little bit. How is it, what is something from your school days that you remember, something that stuck with you, a life lesson or a subject lesson that you're like, I remember this story perfectly. Maybe it's something you still use even to this very day. There was something that caused that story to stick, right? See if you can figure out what it was as we read from Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be. So open your Bible or your phone or whatever you need to. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It's the parable of the sower. 
That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crather gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up quickly. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Still other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still others fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So the disciples hear this story and like, Jesus, just out of curiosity, why don't you just tell people what's going on? Why do you speak in parables? So he replies to them, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. Do you see why the people didn't hear? Do you see why the people didn't understand? It had nothing to do with Jesus. Their heart had become callous. They hardly even hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. Do you see who owns all of this? It's not the fault of Jesus. It's the individual's hearing and receiving the message. And I would heal them. There's where Jesus comes back in. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed for the day when Jesus would come. Long for the Messiah is what he's saying here to see what you see and didn't get to see it. They longed to hear what you're hearing, but they didn't get to hear it. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone who hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what has been sown in their heart. And this seed sown along, the, this is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short period of time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Really quickly, let's isolate the four players or the three players in the game. First of all, the sower, then the seed, and then the individual types of soil. MacArthur says this about the parable. It has absolutely nothing to do with the skill of the sower the person casting the seed. It has nothing at all to do with the quality of the seed being cast. The seed is absolutely perfect. It is eternally unchanging. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the word of God, the only true seed. And the sower can't mess that up. The sower is simply the one who plants the seed, the word of God, the gospel message of Jesus, the good news of what he did for us. Jesus could have easily been referring to himself in this parable, in this story. 
as he goes around the countryside, around all of Israel, casting seed in the soil, and some of it would grow. But he also could have been talking to his disciples, saying, guys, this is what you're supposed to be doing, spreading this word. But there's another reality. This absolutely is talking to us on a couple different levels. If we've accepted Jesus and are now living out his command to go and make disciples, his goal is the same for the here to believe and be saved. So let's talk about these four types of soil. This is always an evangelistic message, but it's actually more than that. And we'll get to that at the end. These four types of soil. The parable is the heart and all of its assorted stages of readiness. All four soils consist of the exact same minerals. What makes them different is whether they are in suitable condition for producing a crop, producing the fruit or not. So what I've done is pair up Jesus' original statement with his explanation. So verse four, he said, as he was carrying the seed, some fell on the path and birds came and ate it up. In verse 19, Jesus explains, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This seed is sown along the path. These are the people that at some point in time have heard the word of God in their life. Maybe you told them about them. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it was a friend that you brought to church on a Sunday. And for some reason, their heart seems unable to absorb the biblical truth. Their heart is hard. It might be because of some life experience and they don't believe in God. It might be because of some teaching that they've heard that's hard in them or maybe a way that they were harmed by the church or someone in it in their past. And so they just don't, they just can't allow that. In this world, a lot of people, it's because they think they already know about Jesus. They already know what a Christian is. They already don't believe the Bible. And so they refuse to even listen. Their soil is hard. Maybe they're in love with the sin that they know is in their life. And they have no desire to get rid of that sin. You see, this person could be the one described in Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Some people don't like to be told what to think or what to do. And that's their reason for their hard heart. In any case, these people have become hardened to the good news of Jesus and his death for them, as hard as that is to understand. And like the path that's been trampled under the foot of man and beast, they become so compact and so hard that there's nowhere for that seed to take up root. It says that the, after hearing the word of God, the devil comes and takes it away so that they may not believe and be saved. The devil doesn't want them to understand what they're hearing. He doesn't want that to get into their life. He will deceive them. He will lie to them. He will tempt them. He will confuse them. He might tell them they don't need Jesus. He might tell them that after hearing the word, the people are going to make fun of them if they become a Christian, that their sin isn't really that bad, as a matter of fact. And the world we live in today, it's not really sin anymore, so just don't worry about it. You don't need this Jesus guy. And the seed's never allowed to blossom. It's a sad Sad story. Does that mean we should not keep trying with those people? Of course not. Of course not. But maybe we're praying the wrong prayer. We'll get to that in the end. The second type of soil. Some fell in rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up very quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the, pray, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and receives it at once with joy. But because they had no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, being in ministry for 24 years now, we see this all the time in the church, every age. 
In student ministry, you'd have that student that starts coming, goes to camp or a conference or an event, and immediately they want to know about Jesus. They accept Jesus. They're baptized. They're on fire. And then they disappear. And the adult world, it might look a little different. Maybe it's an entire family that comes in. They get involved right away. They're on fire for Jesus. But something happens. It was just an experience for them. These individuals, sometimes they don't have a background in the church or a background in the study of the Word of God, so there's no depth in their decision. And even though they began this relationship, they were either unwilling or unable to put in the work they needed for the roots to grow down deep and their faith get stronger. Maybe the smallest or the largest life event is what pulled them away from this relationship. It could have been something tragic. That pulled them away. It could have been something as simple as a scheduled conflict that doesn't allow them to be around and be a part of the community of God. And there they cannot continue to grow. And the next thing you know, they vanish without a trace. The world attacks them at a time when God was right there at the doorstep, right there getting them started. And they were ready to continue to grow, but then the world attacks and they isolate themselves from God's word and from God's people. If you take a look around, most of you can recognize that somebody in this room is missing. In some cases, it might have even been the person that brought you here. And now they're the ones that are no longer a part of the body of God. They never grew deeper for one reason or another, and now they've been pulled away. Now, don't lose our responsibility in that, because as we notice that happening, because I can spot it a mile away in people's lives at this point. I can tell you it's coming. But people don't want to hear that. They don't want you to tell them, hey, you know, you haven't been here in one or two weeks. And they'll give you an excuse, an excuse, an excuse. And then it's three, and then it's four, and then it's six, and then it's eight, and then you never see them again. And you know it's there. How do you stop it? How do you stop them? The third type of soil. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Luke's gospel adds that they just don't mature in their faith. Now, this is a very difficult group indeed, because this group truly did hear the word and they're in good growing soil. They're absolutely lives take root and begin growing up big and strong. But then something comes in and kills it off, just keeps it from growing anymore till eventually chokes it out of them. The visual is this tender young plant growing up healthy and strong, and then the weeds get all entangled all around it and gradually suck the life right out of it. We see that in the church. What do these thorns represent in people's lives within the church? Well, in the middle school and high school level, I can tell you what it almost always was. It was one of two things. I only mentioned one first service. It was always one of two things. A middle school or high school student comes to Jesus. They're all excited. They're on fire. And then they start dating someone that doesn't know Jesus. And gradually that person begins to pull them and pull them and pull them away from Christ until they completely disappear. And you never see them again. And then I could share with you the stories of what happened to those people, many of them afterwards, as I would see their posts on the internet. And be like, oh, see what happened. Second thing was a job. Teenagers would get a job. And then on the weekends, they would have to work on Sundays. And then you would never, ever see them again. And just happens just so quickly. It gets choked right out of their life. What does it look like in the adult world? Well, it could be worry. Could be fear, could be anxiety, could be the, the fear that we talked about last week. It chokes the life out of them. They don't want to give up control. They don't want to follow the lead of Christ. They don't want to do something that Jesus is asking them to do. So instead, they just run 
in the other direction. They either refuse or they don't know how to put their hope and their trust and their faith in Jesus and cast their cares upon him. They're so driven by worldly pursuits of money, popularity, relationships, addiction, pride. It just kills off this new relationship with Jesus. The reality is that they don't understand and we don't understand that our relationship with Christ needs to be number one. And everything else is after that. And until we get that in the right order, something will always be in the way. We're too in love with this world to die to ourself and allow Jesus to be that source of life. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. It's a very famous verse. You'll either hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Money is what the passage says. I would challenge you to look at that and put whatever word you want at the end of that. You cannot serve both God and what? What is it in your life that keeps you from being able to serve God? It could be money. It could be job. It could be school. It could be social media. It could be some form of addiction that nobody even knows about. It could be sports. It could be theater. It could be band. It could be hunting. It could be an endless list of potential things what is it that you cannot serve both God and this? Maybe you were saved a long time ago, but you stopped growing what's in the way. Now, we all know it's true that this is happening because society now says that it's okay to be a Christian, I guess, if you want to. But here's the thing. Being a part of the body of Christ and going to church, that's optional. They'll say things like, well, my faith is personal. No, it's not. Go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That's not really very personal, is it? That's pretty out there. They'll say things like, well, I don't really need to go to church to be a follower of Christ. That, that's fine. You can go every once in a while, but you don't need to commit to being there every week. Come on. Maybe once a month or twice a month or a few times a year. That's, that's plenty. You don't need to have community with those other believers. You do not need to be there for one another. There's no need to study the entire Gospel of John together as a body of Christ. That's going to take 32 weeks. You know how much commitment that's going to take from you? I get articles every week telling us about the new norm for church. Now, I just expect it. People just aren't going to be there every week anymore. That's just, that's just reality. You just need to accept that, embrace it, and move on. And I, I don't like that. Here's why. Who's the one telling that lie? Did Jesus say, hey, just get together when you can? Did he say that? No, he said, do not forsake giving up meeting together, ever. And they said, every time you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Boy, there's a lot of things that we can only do if we're together, isn't there? I don't think he meant once a week once a, or once a month, once a year, whatever. I think there's something more serious involved. Should we accept that reality or should we fight with the love of Jesus against it with every fiber of our being? Hopefully you'll join me in the fight. The final soil that Jesus speaks of is the rarest of all. And just prior to this in Matthew 7, he says... Enter through the narrow gate, wide is the gate, and broad the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. He tells us that some of the seed fell on good soil, and it produced a crop. But not just a crop, it produced a crop exponentially 160 or 30 times the one individual seed that was sown. The falling, seed falling on the soil refers to anyone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces the crop. These people's hearts are ready to receive the seed. Somehow, some way, they're ready. They hear it and they understand it. Now, don't be confused by that. It doesn't mean that a person immediately heard the word and figured all of life's mysteries out. That's not it. Although, 
that has happened to some of you. Have you ever been in a place where someone was speaking or you're watching something or reading something and the author or speaker says something and it just clicks and you're like, I get it. Like, just like that, you got that understanding that you'd never had before. That can happen. But more than likely what it means for many people is that they may have not fully understood, but they're willing to come back and find out more. They're willing to dig deeper, maybe on their own. They're willing to ask questions and even do some research to find out answers if they're not satisfied with the ones that they get. They are keepers of the word. It's now part of who they are as a child of God. And Satan cannot steal that from them like he did the first group along the path. The seed will grow into maturity and it won't wither. Why? Because this, the roots are growing very deep. It will not be drawn away by the desires of this world because they've allowed Jesus to come into their life and Jesus is spraying the roundup that he has all around your life and he's killing off all the weeds. Every one of us has weeds growing right around us right now. And if we allow them to grow to maturity, they will strangle out our faith and we will disappear just like others have before us. We must let Jesus in to kill all of that stuff off, get rid of our selfish sinful desires and strive to become more like him. The cool thing is, as a result of this life of faithfulness, there's some incredible things that happen. Not only do we grow and we mature in our faith and we prosper in God's glory, but we then become sowers of the seed. And when that seed falls into the right soil, we begin to, begin to see this thing perpetuate and we see that growth takes place in other people's lives. The right person Here's the heart that we're putting into this, the heart of God, and begins to produce that same stellar crop. Matthew 23 says it. This is the one who produced the crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Those of you that have been involved with ministries around and about, maybe around the world, think of the seeds that you've sown. And you've heard some stories from some of those places, haven't you? Everyone? No, remember, there's four paths. Only 25% of the seed that was cast actually returns anything, right? But look what it returns. It's an incredible, incredible thing. In other words, the heart that's prepared and willing to receive the word of God will produce an abundance of fruit. Now, that also could just be a personal fruit that is on display for everyone to see. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are these things being produced in your life? If they're not, you got a soil problem. There's something not right about your soil how do you fix that? How do you prepare your heart for the seed? How do you get ready to receive the word of God? Here's the difficulty. You can't, at least not by yourself. It requires some help. MacArthur writes it this way. We're all hopelessly unclean. Left to our own, all we would do is grow harder. We see this a lot in the church. We see people who have been in church a long time, but these life events just cause them to grow harder and harder and harder. And many of them become really bitter old Christians. And I've never, ever understood that because, let's be real, as you get older, where are you closer to being? I'm just being honest. Where are you closer to being? With Jesus. Shouldn't that be exciting? I'm just, to be old and bitter and be a Christian, I don't know that it's possible, really. If you're cherishing what you're longing for your whole life, then man, you got such joy. To, life may suck. Let's just be honest. It does sometimes. That's reality. But what we have to look forward to after this is so great that we can look past the moments and offer hope to others. And we got to do a better job of doing that. But listen to this. He describes this work of God in our life this way. 
For those who believe, he awakens them spiritually. He enlightens their minds to the truth. He washes them clean. He removes the stony heart and he gives them a new heart. He indwells his people and motivates them unto righteousness. He engraves the truth of God on their hearts. He pours love, the love of God into their hearts. We who believe in Christ are totally dependent upon the indwelling spirit's work in our hearts to keep us tender, receptive, and ultimately fruitful. You see, this parable isn't just for new believers. We always hear it as an evangelistic thing about, hey, we got to get out there and sow the seed and some of it will return back to us, multiplying ends, absolutely. But the reality is this, it's for us too. Those of us that have been believers for a long time, our soil, it can get real hard. And the word of God can no longer penetrate it. We can see people in need and it has no effect on us because our soil has become hard. Our soil can be really shallow, really shallow. And so we cannot grow to maturity. Our soil can get filled with weeds. Absolutely. And then the unfortunate part about those weeds is guess who actually plants those? I do. I'm the one that brings those weeds and weeds into my soil and plant them. And I'm the one that has to take care of those and tend those and feed those to cause them to grow. I can't blame anyone but myself as a follower of Christ. So if you find yourself with your life right now, your heart being in one of those three soils, I wanted to do this with you today. Simple, easy prayer. When you feel your heart is not in the right place, Psalm 5110, create in me a clean heart or a pure heart. Oh God, God, just create in me the heart ready for that seed to be planted and grow. If you've accepted the word of God into your life, keep pursuing him. Do not let anyone or anything keep you from doing that. Do not let Satan steal it away. Don't let the weeds of life choke it out. Allow God to help you grow and stay close to him at all times. Get rid of those things that keep you from pursuing him. You can identify them. Have an accountability partner that can point them out for you and then take what they share with you. So the question today is when you came in, how was your heart? What state was your soil in when you began today? I got an easy test for you. When I said, hey, we need 50 people to pick 10 of these up and go and share this with someone to invite them back to church. What was your immediate internal response? Because that tells you a lot about your soil right there. Was it, oh my goodness, I'm going to hang this on someone's. What if that person came to church with me? Oh my goodness, that would be awesome if God could speak to that life or that family or that person. If that was your thought, you got some fertile soil, you're ready to go. If your thought was 10 people, I don't even know, 10 doors, I'm not, I don't have time to do that. I can't do that. This would be hard. What if, what if somebody like comes to the door and I have to talk to them? Oh, that's awful. How's your soil? Honest question. Honest question. Lastly, if you're trying to sow seed right now, if you're in a phase of life where you're involved in ministry and you're casting seed out all over the place, and sometimes it just feels like it's in vain, it's not. It's not. Some of that seed will get firmly rooted and established in God and you will be with those people for all eternity in heaven. You have to be faithful. There's nothing wrong with your seed. Keep sowing. And if you need help putting your story together, we're going to have a class helping you work on that. Sign up and join us starting this Tuesday. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this simple, simple parable that teaches us so much about who we are, about who others are, about our hearts and the state that they're in. I pray that everyone listening today evaluates their soil. Father, maybe today was a little bit of fertilizer into the soil, mixing it around, getting it ready, prepared for what's going to happen. Father, maybe they came in with their soil hard as a rock because of what life has thrown at them. 
Father, that's the case. I pray that your spirit begins doing some plowing and breaking up that soil to make it what it needs to be. Father, there's someone here today and this was the first time this seed has ever been planted. Father, I pray that if nothing else today, they hear the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, gave himself up for them, died for them and for all of their mistakes so they could be forgiven and have eternal life with you. If they have never heard that before, I pray today that seed is planted firmly in their life and that soil is cleared out and ready to go to begin growing. Father, the potential is endless. The harvest you've said is plentiful. The workers are very, very few. I pray that you take your servants here today and you allow them to begin casting that seed all over this community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.